Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media. And we'd love if you follow along with us on LinkedIn. We each have our own LinkedIn pages and we post a lot about different research topics. And we'd love to interact with you there. So today we are going to be talking about the importance of showing humanity or having a humane orientation, um, not just in organizations, but also in cultures. Um, And we're going to be looking at some really cool cross-cultural data, which shows the importance of sort of being surrounded with more humane values and actions and behaviors. So um, that's our focus for today. But before we kick that off, I am curious, and this might be a little bit of a tough question, but I am curious about the extent to which you feel like you've experienced real, like, humanity in your workplace interactions where you feel like you've really connected with people as human beings and not just as coworkers, Um, maybe across jobs or even if you just have an example that you can share a time in which it really mattered that people were treating you as a human and not just as a coworker. Mm. That's a good question. So do you, are you asking about like treating me that way or I interacting I, in a way that's more? Yeah, I guess it. I was originally thinking something specific to you, but if there's an example that you can think of that's broader, I don't see, I don't see why we can't talk about it. It's our show. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. <laughs> Yeah, fair. True, true. Um, (laughs) Well, just because the example I came up with um, that first came into my head was, you know, when I was working at a startup that had some major challenges from like a culture perspective and like a work-life balance perspective. And in some ways, having a lot of challenges like that actually made my team kind of open up in a way that I don't think they would have otherwise because Mm -hmm. everybody was remote and I really, really worked on creating a safe space. Like I really wanted people to be able to like talk to me. I knew it was a difficult environment. So I wanted to make sure people were able to like open up. And I do think that the, I don't know, whatever I did, did help in terms of people really opening up and talking to me about what was going on. And it kind of led to, um, the team just generally kind of supporting each other as people in a lot of different ways. Like we had an employee that took, a, actually we had two employees that took medical leaves, um, during this time with, you know, the team was like maybe 12 or 13 of us at one point. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a couple people took medical leaves. Like that's a lot in one, yeah. <laughs> in just like a year and a half that I was working there. Um, and how people supported each other when they were going off to take the leave and coming back in was just amazing. Like it was just very much, people were just treating, you know, people as whole people and really working and partnering well in a mm-hmm. way that was impactful and meaningful for the whole person, not just for like you know, the colleague, the coworker, and they got to know each other really well too. Like it was actually really nice. Like there are things I really miss about that team because even though the environment around us is really wild, the team just bonded really well Mm. and people knew each other very well. They liked each other. They respected each other. The way that they, um, interacted 
like just felt like they were friends, like just friends that happened to work together. So it was like a really Mm. cool place from that perspective. That's awesome. That actually goes along with something that we're going to talk about. Um, Mm. uh, Sort of the like uh, generative factors that influence whether or not people are um, sort of like it, like it generates new positive things when people are in environments that support this and then they start interacting with each other in different ways and it kind of builds on each other. It sounds like that's some of what was going on there. Yeah. Do you have an example from your experience? Yeah. I was actually thinking that I feel that my experience here um, at U of A has been really positive in that regard. Like people generally tend to connect with each other more on a personal level and even in my recruitment process here um, I got invited to go to like our department chair's house for a barbecue and like he like hung out with us in the backyard and we've gotten together with people and so like I think when things happen in people's lives like number one they're more aware of what's going on in people's lives so that there's a greater ability to respond but also I feel like people come together more quickly to problem solve around helping people out so if something mm-hmm. happens where someone is struggling with something, whether it's something with a family member or a friend or themselves, whatever it is, I feel like people come together very quickly to sort of brainstorm and problem solve around how to provide support for that person. Um, and so I think in general here, people have more of that orientation towards helping one another um, in ways that I think matters, especially when you're going through something tough that you can kind of rely on the fact that you have people who are going to be looking out for you. So um while it's not a specific, any one specific incident, I've seen it happen to multiple people in multiple different types of incidents, whether they're dealing with a health issue or childcare issue or, um, you know, a family member is sick or something like that. Um, or even just, you know, things that are going on in the world, um, that might be a challenge for people broadly, but also maybe even more so for specific people. Um, I think things are uh, done in a very humane fashion, I will say. I love it. And yeah, I would say that the way you talk about your experience there aligns with what you've just described. So I think that's really great that you found a place like that. And honestly, this whole conversation right now is just making me think about our own research. Yeah. And like what it is, like what kind of environment our leaders trying to build to create this kind of humane approach to being a team member. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. I think that that's 100% the case. And um, hopefully, uh, as we continue to share some of the findings out from that research, people will be able to learn more about why we think that those um, overlaps exist, but also to see the positive um, sort of, I think, the actionable ways that people can start to achieve these more humane environments, um, which is obviously our goal is to give people stuff that they can do. And this article actually offers some of that. Um So the three big takeaways from this article that um, I want us to kind of focus on. So I will start off by saying this is a bit of an overwhelming article because this is a huge study. So just to start, like it has 35 authors. So (laughs) there's tons going on here. And the data came from a sample of over 10,000 participants across 30 different countries. So they had sort of a point person in each country helping gather some of this data. And the reason is because they were looking at broader cultural 
elements of humanity or humane orientation in the national culture, but I think that there are some real implications for not just global leaders who are thinking about how to lead across these cultures, but also for thinking about how to create kind of like mega cultures, like organizational cultures that might help you to lead a smaller culture on a team. So while we'll be talking mm -hmm. about national culture here, what we're really talking about is like broader overarching norms that can help shape um, the norms on teams or groups that exist within those. So I just wanted to call that out that this is a huge article. There's lots of studies and uh, lots of hypotheses that we're not gonna be able to delve into, but I wanna um, key in on a few points. So the first okay. is that a humane orientation or the experience of greater humanity um, in a society or at work is something that you can grow and change. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about what are some things that people might do to create a more humane orientation. The second is that it matters more in places that lack um, other forms of support that those broader humane orientation norms exist for deflecting negative outcomes. And it matters more, this is the third one, it matters more that the humane orientation exists for promoting positive outcomes when other forms of support are also present. So it's helpful in situations where you have negative um, uh, sort of forms of support showing up to stave off bad stuff and it's also good for promoting good stuff in better environments. So we'll talk through what that means in a little bit more detail, but it's basically useful under a couple of different circumstances to have this broader humane orientation. Okay. So sounds like it's like you're saying useful in a couple different circumstances or situations, but ultimately the important thing is that you can grow it. So I'd love exactly. to hear more about that first. So it's like you can grow it. So then you're, if you're in these circumstances, you can definitely focus on that change or evolution? Yeah. So this idea of a humane orientation has mostly been looked at, as I mentioned, at the societal level. And there's this big project, which Patricia, I know that you know about, but the people listening might not know, um, called the Globe Project, which was um, a project by Bob House that and many co-authors over the years that basically have assessed dimensions by which cultures, and that by that I mean national cultures, differ from one another in meaningful ways. So they've sort of boiled down key elements by which national cultures vary. And one of those elements is called humane orientation. Now, I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that people in certain cultural contexts have less humanity than other people, but it's more about the extent to which their national norms support people acting in compassionate, caregiving, and kind ways to each other, and the extent to which they're interested in promoting others' well-being and providing other people's material support as opposed to paying more attention to themselves. So mm -hmm. in high humane orientation contexts, people do things like show caring to one another, like if they're in a tough situation, they're more likely to notice when someone needs help and go out of their way to help them. They're also more likely to be friendly to other people, generally greet people with a friendly demeanor and be enthusiastic to meet new people. They are more likely to take people under their wing and help support people's well-being. And they're also more likely to go further in providing material support for people. So that idea of like they would give them the jacket off their back or whatever um, is a good way to think about a humane orientation just like from an action standpoint. People lower in humane so, orientation cultures. Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, so for people that are listening, like I know you said that obviously I've heard about this before, but there, I know that in organizations, there are tools that are centered on this research. So I don't know if you knew about that, Katina, but no. um, there are trainings and like culture tools like we have access in different companies I've worked for where you can go in and you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to be working with people from Korea today and I can pick that country and then I can compare it to my country and see like where we differ on these components. So it's actually been turned into a tool that a lot of companies that are global actually use. So, um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. People may have seen this or even worked on trying to understand the differences between these two before um, out there if you have mm-hmm. access to those tools. Um, and so some key actions that people can do to demonstrate ways that you can grow a humane culture are things like reaching out to ask how you can best provide support if you know an employee is struggling. So if you know that your coworker is going through a hard time, reaching out and asking how to provide support and then providing that support. Um, also, being sensitive to other people's needs and recognizing when they might need help is also an important piece of the equation. So you might not even need to reach out and ask for if somebody needs help. You also could just notice that somebody's having a rough day and say, well, you know, I was going to ask this person to do these two things, but I'm having a later day. I'm just going to do them for them, um, giving them more time to help cope with the stress that they're experiencing. Um, You can also look people in the eye, greet people by name, and that goes across status levels, making sure that everybody feels like they're being treated with dignity and that they're valued for being there. And then the final thing, um, there are plenty of other tips, but just a couple of things um, to recognize. Um, The way you respond to mistakes, and we've talked about this in the psychological safety literature, being slower to judge people, giving more grace when people make errors and help fellow employees to navigate and learn from their errors is another way that you can grow a more humane culture. So um, it is able, it is possible to grow. You are able to change this or shift this in your organization if it's not happening currently. Um, And so uh, that's kind of some straightforward advice about how to do that. I love it. I think that uh, those tips really make sense and are kind of clear. I was just curious. So when people are thinking about it, because you said, you know, this has been a national culture. We're talking about the work cultures. But do you have like examples of like countries that are high on this? Yeah. um, To kind of help anchor people maybe? Yeah. So they give examples in here of high humane orientation cultures being Indonesia, Ecuador, and India, where people tend to be rated higher on being compassionate, altruistic, and kind. They also mentioned that um, there is something about the uh, focus on being less urbanized and more relationship focused, um, spending more time forming like collectives or relying on community as a way of um, getting by or surviving Um, and also having more like informal and personal relationships that Um, focus on people as a whole as opposed to focusing specifically on the domain that you know someone in. So in a more humane orientation culture, people might be interested in what people do outside of work, even if they're friends with someone in work, or they might be interested in what people do for work if they know them in the community. Um, So they mentioned that it's more of like a people-centered and relationship-centered culture compared to, and this is why I wanted to say, it's not that there's lower humanity in these cultures. It's just that they tend to emphasize more self-reliance. And if push comes to shove, people are more um, 
oriented towards thinking like their thing is their thing and that sharing that thing is maybe a nice thing, but it's definitely not expected. And it's more mm-hmm. likely that you have to earn being shared with than, um, or like show that you deserve to be shared with um, than uh, sort of an orientation that everybody needs to be shared with. So those examples that they give are France, sorry, Patricia, Poland, and Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why are you apologizing? Yeah, me? <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and Patricia's house. No, um, Poland, <laughs> Poland and Singapore. Um, and those are just a few examples. But the idea is that there's just more people that, um, or there's more of a general norm of like, you earn your own keep, you use what you have to support yourself and your family. And if somebody else is struggling, they could do the same thing that you're doing and it's not upon you to help or share with them. I mean, since most of our listeners are likely in the U S like, I feel like the U S is probably low on the humane orientation scale. Yeah. Based on the way you've described it. Yes. The U S are very focused on like merit and things like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, the U S is definitely more of an individualized, um, cultural context and that's very highly related to um, this arena as well. So, um, yeah, in terms of the um, humane orientation scale, on a scale of 1 to 5, the U.S. is a 4.15. Um, so it is on the higher end um, of that scale. Okay, so a 5 is low or high on humane orientation? Oh, a 5 is, um, sorry, a 5... Uh, it's a scale of one to seven and the U S is a 4.15. So they're Got sort it. of like, yeah, they're, they're skewing a little bit upward, but they're definitely not at the upper echelon more in the middle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So sounds like, um, but when we're thinking about the work context, so I think that kind of helps like give visuals. I think people have, you know, maybe people don't have as strong of a visual as to like what's going on in Poland per se. Yeah. But I think most Americans have an idea of France, have an idea of India, and that can kind of give a good um, marker, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that um, the good news is that by enacting those behaviors, especially if you have people enact them that are in high positions of power, so. Um, There are cultural norms that are set by people who are in power and policies and practices that exist at the national level that help to shape how people think about these sorts of things, the beliefs and values and norms, um, and then how those those have been embedded in history and passed down. All those things can also happen within an organizational context, right? You can have leaders who really have strong beliefs and values and norms, and then that becomes part of the organization's history and story and can get passed down. So in the same way that we can grow cultural context and that some cultures, you know, can shift over time too. If we look at gender egalitarianism, for example, an area where cultural um, contexts have shifted um, more recently, there's also an opportunity to shift um, a humane orientation as well. That's not really the focus of the of the article in terms of countries shifting their orientation, but it is clear that these are behaviors, beliefs, and norms that um, get built by people, and they can also be moved by people. And so then if they can be moved by people, then within a company, you can make some shifts and exactly. and bring you to a place where you are kind of reaching out and supporting each other in a different way. Exactly. Um, so that leads me to kind of talk about, well, why would we care about making things more humane? And one of the most interesting things that I thought was that they looked at 
um, a national level, the extent to which people experienced family supportive supervisor behaviors and coworker support. And what they found was that having fewer of these supports, so coworker support and supervisor supportive behaviors, led to more work-family conflict. And we've talked before about work-family conflict being this perception that your work and your family don't align. And specifically in this instance, because it's work to family, that your work continues to interrupt your family life in a way that you feel is disruptive to what you would like to have happening in your life. So we know that these family supportive supervisor behaviors um, and coworker support, the more you have of them, the less conflict you have, vice versa, the um, the less you have of these supportive behaviors from your coworkers and supervisor, the more work family conflict you have. And what they found was that in terms of staving off work family conflict, um, it was actually more important for you to be in a humane orientation culture if you had less of those supports. So if I'm lacking supervisor support, lacking coworker support, and bad things are happening as a result, my work family conflict's going up, the humane orientation can sort of mitigate that. So if I'm in a cultural context or a broader context where maybe I'm getting some support, not from my direct coworkers or my direct supervisor, but other portions of my environment that I can pull that support from, it might alleviate some of my work family conflict in a way that ends up being beneficial for me. Okay. So if I was to put this like into an example, if I'm in India as one of the countries that have a, has a high humane orientation, if I'm in India, then my manager not supporting me isn't going to impact me in the same way as if I was in Poland where I don't have that external piece. Exactly. So Is that right? Yeah. So if I have low, that's exactly right. So if I have low supervisor support and low coworker support in India, I'm going to have a little bit better work-family conflict than someone who's in that same situation or a little bit lower work-family conflict than someone who's in that same situation in Poland. Yes. Um, and so the idea is that you're able to pull or draw on resources that compensate for your lack, which helps to alleviate some of these negative outcomes that you're associating with the lack of support that you're getting from those more like proximal sources. Interesting. That's actually a really interesting challenge because I would assume in a culture where, you know, humane orientation isn't necessarily top of mind, let's mm-hmm. say, that those behaviors might not come as naturally to the supervisors or the coworkers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting because what's basically happening is these pockets, and this is why I think it can apply to teams that are operating in organizations, these pockets of individuals are acting in ways that might be counter to the culture. And the idea is that it's likely that there's more resources. So you can think about it if you're in an organization and your supervisor is not providing support, your coworkers are not providing support. Um, But you have really great friends in another department um, who show you a lot of humanity. And, uh, you know, there are senior leaders in the organization that when they get up and talk, um, you really feel like you're seen and valued or they make people feel seen and valued. Those additional resources that are coming from your environment that are just like another place for you to pull help to offset those other values or those other um, uh, less valuable supports. But if you're in an environment where the humane orientation is low, you may not be able to compensate in any way for that lack of support. And it just has more of a negative hit um, to your work and, and life uh, domains communicating with one another. Got it. Okay. But as a leader, then my 
goal would be to kind of create this environment, give that support um, to my team members, encourage colleagues to support each other and really create that culture. Because even if I'm, you know, the broader culture doesn't align, you know, that could help. And we can, and there's like also like a, an approach of thinking about how to support people outside of your team. So if you're working with a colleague on a project, you know, keeping that connection, connecting with them every once in a while, being that supportive person can kind of help broadly um, in the organization if you are those kind of external folks to help yes. when you're in that environment. Yeah, definitely. So if you see a colleague struggling because their supervisor and their coworker um, team is not particularly supportive. There are things that you can do as a member of that organization, but not necessarily as a member of their team or as their supervisor to help alleviate that. And also, I think it's a big, um, you know, a lot of times people focus in or hone in on um, problem people in organizations, which I think we should do, right? So managers that are not leading their team in a supportive way or coworkers that are kind of bad seeds or whatever the case may be. Um, but knowing that your co corporate culture can really help offset that. Like you might think like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do if that person's like day to day is really bad. But actually this shows that senior leaders and the type of tone that's set from the top, even if it's not characteristic of their everyday interactions with people does actually matter for making people experience less conflict. So if you're a really senior person or you're thinking about the organizational culture and why, what the value of it is, um, you can offset some of these more negative close relationships that people have by putting them in a broader cultural context. Yeah. So like something HR can focus on, right. It's creating that mm -hmm. bigger cultural context. So then we can see, that even in those pockets where they're not getting the support that's needed, employees have this bigger context, this bigger support system outside of their teams. Yep, 100%. So I think oftentimes we get narrowed that. in or focused in on problem people, but it's also important to recognize that the culture can help to do something for people who are coping with those problem people. I mean, you should obviously still deal with those folks, but um, there is something to be said about the broader culture. Um, you don't always find those folks right away. So that's yeah. another thing, right? So I think it's a really good thing to have this culture really set up to support around it. So then, you know, we're mitigating the risk. And eventually, once those problem people are found, you can address that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think um, the next big takeaway is that they also found that these family supportive supervisor behaviors and coworker support predict positive work to family spillover, meaning... My work is so awesome that now I feel even more awesome at home because I feel so great about my work. So the more family supportive supervisor behaviors you have, the more coworker support behaviors you have, the more likely that positive feeling spills over into your work and family domain. So the opposite of conflict, kind of like my work's going so great, I feel even better about my personal life. Um, and so it's kind of cool just to understand that cross-culturally those relationships hold um, just at a basic mm -hmm. level. But what they found here was that specifically between coworker support and work-to-family positive spillover, that relationship was stronger in higher humane orientation cultures than in lower humane orientation cultures. And they're calling this a congruence perspective, where when you're experiencing a lot of positivity from your coworkers and it's combined with this culture of humane orientation, it almost sends this like extra positive signal to you that things at work are going great and it predicts these positive outcomes. So, um, it helps to alleviate things when things are going poorly to stave off negative outcomes, but it helps to give an extra boost um, in positive situations where you just like 
have an even stronger relationship with coming home and being like, my work day was great. Now I feel even better about being a family member um, because the, your coworker support is aligned with your company culture, sends a particularly strong signal. Okay. So ultimately what I'm hearing from you is that creating this humane orientation culture is important regardless because it can really make positive things even more positive and it can kind of help mitigate some of the problems of not getting support from your direct team. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's definitely correct. Yes. I love that. I mean, I think that's really important for us to think about and for leaders across the globe to think about yeah. when you're creating a culture, when you're trying to define your culture, when you're, you know, wanting to change and adapt your culture to better fit your company's needs, like thinking about how do we treat people from a humane lens? How do we Mm -hmm. make sure that we're talking to people and working with people in a way that accounts for the whole individual and really treats people with um, dignity and respect and extra care. How can we do that so that we're continuing these really positive benefits? Because obviously the more work family conflict that people are facing, that's going to be a problem. That's going to lead to um, stress in both domains, burnout, all these issues. So if we can create this really positive environment where people are feeling good about, you know, being there, then we're not going to be experiencing that same level of stress and burnout that you could see if we didn't fix that problem. Yeah. And I think just to think about, you know, if you're sort of assessing where you're sitting in the organization with regard to these things. So if you're in a situation where you're like, man, you know, we have all these supervisors and coworkers and they're just not helping each other out. We don't have a culture. We have sort of like a me first culture more than like a helping culture. Um, and I just don't know what we can do about that. You can look outside of some of those team dynamics that you're seeing that are more discouraging and think about the broader culture as a way to continue to provide support for people as you deal with those more proximal pieces. And then the second thing is if you're in a culture and you're like, well, you know what, we've got a lot of coworker support going on here. We've got a lot of supervisors who are supportive. Like we're probably good you can get even more of that positive impact that you're getting from that positive environment on that work family spillover where you just feel great about your life because you're feeling great about your work. You can get even more of that um, in a culture that has coworker support that's high. So regardless of whether you're in a situation where people are not doing this to as much of an extent and people are experiencing negative outcomes or people are and you're already experiencing some of those positive outcomes, it can help... alleviate the negative outcomes and give you an extra boost on the positive. So it's really a good thing in a variety of circumstances. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's just something to consider. Like when you define your culture, is it a me culture? Is it not? Like think about what your culture is in the organization and you can start to understand where you fall on the scale. And then if you're falling on the low end, you can start thinking about how do you show up differently and how do leaders show up differently to start moving the needle towards this more humane approach to work. And, you know, just like with everything else we talk about, I feel like ultimately we spend so much time at work and don't we all want to be in a place where we can be happy and we can be ourselves and we can feel good. And the only way to do that is to create these types of cultures. So I think it's really, really important that, you know, you you know, leaders that are listening, take a critical look and actually think about this versus just kind of be like, yeah, I think we're fine. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, I think that that is a good constructive takeaway from it. And I also just think it's cool to know that these relationships hold across 30 different countries. Um, and, you know, so when we talk about the importance of support on, you know, how people feel about their work and family, and we know from the broader literature how much work and family conflict and positive work family conflicts or work family spillover matters, that this is something that holds cross-culturally and that there are things about the broader context that matter and that hold across all these different, you know, it's a huge data set. So it's really exciting data, I think, to be able to explore um, a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think it's really interesting. And I do like seeing some data from this big kind of scale that we can, you know, leverage as we talk to people about this topic. I mean, you know, it's so easy for us to be very U.S. centric or whatever, you know, country we're in to really think about what impacts us. But companies are so global now that it's really cool to see a study that looks at it truly globally so we can understand how this works everywhere and for an entire organization that likely has multiple locations across the world. Yeah. If you have a global organization that has, you know, some places that are located in a more um, humane orientation culture versus less, you can think about what those um, impacts are doing for people to stave off what outcomes and what role the culture's playing and how shifts in the culture might matter within your organization, um, that you can create an organizational kind of subculture that might even have impacts to create like a subdomain within a larger national context. So um, yeah, I think that's I think that's it for my takeaways, but I hope that you like this article. Yeah, I thought it was really great, super interesting, and I'll have to dive into the millions of other pieces that we didn't get a chance to talk about today, but I think it was a really interesting conversation, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to see this kind of work happen more often. And for all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, let us know. Reach out at contact at workerbeing.com. Check out our website for more articles and podcast episodes, workerbeing.com. And as always, follow us on social. And if you want to hear more about this stuff in person or in your organization, please let us know. We are happy to come and, and share more research and tips and help guide organizations in the right direction. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. 